Welcome back to the Preacher's Podcast. We are at the first Sunday in Lent for year C. Our series theme for this season is Crushed, where we're looking at things that can crush us under, like a load of guilt or regret, and we see how Jesus crushes all those things. The theme of our specific day is that our temptation is crushed by Christ's obedience. Our participants today are Pastor Jonathan Bauer of Good News Lutheran in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin, Pastor Joel Rousseau of Faith Lutheran in Tallahassee, and Professor Brad Wardell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. I'm John Hine, coordinator of Wells Congregational Services. Joel, I'm going to ask you to set the stage for us. When people leave church from this first Sunday in Lent, what are you hoping is the main point of the service that they take home with them? So someone said one time, it was another preacher, and this stuck with me, that the first Sunday in Lent could, could be called Active Obedience Sunday, uh, because you see Christ stand and fight the battle against the tempter and temptation, and of course he does so in our place. And so I, I think the, the big takeaway I want people to, to know is, first of all, that he won the victory for us, but that he also equips us for all the battles we have. Uh, so there be a big focus, I think, for me in active temptation as I preach this, although uh, when we get into the text itself, you do see the, the passive obedience of Christ as well. Yeah, you know, you're, the, you're right. The text is a great uh, juxtaposition of those two points. That, that maybe uh, brings me to you, John. So the first reading, a familiar story of David and Goliath. The gospel gives us kind of a similar type of story, another battle of champions where you have Satan, the prince of demons, going against mankind's champion, Jesus Christ, in the Luke 4 account of Jesus' temptation. But the sermon text that Joel just mentioned is Hebrews 4. How do you see that text doing the job of driving home our theme for the day? Yeah, so as you mentioned, uh, in both of those other two readings, the, the first reading from the Old Testament and the gospel, you've got this one-on-one um, -on -one battle going on. And, you know, as obvious as it sounds to anyone who's who understands the, the message of the Bible, if we didn't know any better, we might think, well, okay, here's, here's two uh, champions going one-on-one, -on -one, you know, good for them. Uh, what does this have to do with me? And it's really that, that second reading from Hebrews that lets us know what's going on, that really even going back uh, farther than uh, Samuel or, or the lesson from Samuel with David and Goliath, God had been teaching his people that the way you are going to be saved is by one person representing uh, all the people, one person representing the entire nation before God. And that really was embodied in the role of the high priest. And so as the writer of Hebrews talks about uh, that role in these verses, that's really what uh, brings it all together, that Jesus is serving in this role in his battle against Satan. He's not just doing this to prove, you know, his might or his worth. He's doing this as the representative for all of us. That's great. Brad, let me go to you. Guys have done their text study by now. So do you have any initial thoughts, either about something in the text itself, or if you want to go more broad about the main message of the text, that's fine too. Yeah, thank you. I think I'd start out, um, first of all, by just talking about the, the letter to the Hebrews itself. The whole, the whole letter uh, really is a, a unique letter in the New Testament. 
with its many, many quotes of the Old Testament, uh, I think 35 quotes, uh, 34 allusions to the Old Testament. Uh, the author obviously knew the Old Testament uh, very, very well and uh, may have been Apollos, as Luther thought, or uh, may have been somebody like Apollos. But he's as important as the author uh, is uh, for this letter, I think uh, for our discussion today, uh, even more important are the recipients uh, of this letter. As uh, both Joel and John uh, mentioned, uh, we're in a battle. Uh, we are in a battle and uh, we need a champion to fight for us, uh, someone to help us, uh, because we're going to lose if we're fighting on our own. But if we have someone fighting for us, uh, someone who can overcome uh, even the devil himself, then, then, we, then we have hope and we have confidence as we live our life in this sinful world. So I think the letter to the Hebrews is, is very helpful to us uh, because the, the age in which we live, we're getting to be more and more like the original recipients of this letter. Uh, I think the original recipients were living in the 60s uh, in Rome. Uh, they had come to know uh, the Bible. They maybe were Jews uh, who came to know that Jesus is the Messiah, and they're being persecuted. Uh, under Claudius, uh, they're having their property taken away, they're being driven out of Rome. Perhaps many of the believers are drifting away and, and turning away from their faith. And the believers who are there, uh, they very much need encouragement, they need strengthening, they need uh, warnings. And so the is just an mix of of uh, Bible doctrine and encouragement, Bible doctrine and encouragement, uh, alternating one between other. Uh, and so we start out with, with uh, Christology and then encouragement and Christology and encouragement. And I think that's what we need to preach uh, on this Sunday is the glory of Christ and then encouragement not uh, to drift away. Can I, can I jump in there real quick with a thought that I had that's very much uh, connected to what Professor Wardell is saying. So um, what's interesting to me about these, these verses, um, and as Professor mentioned, there's this back and forth throughout the letter of here's some instruction and then here's some encouragement. But if you look at the, the text itself, um, even though there, there certainly are elements of instruction that are in here, the, the thing as a whole is an encouragement. Um, he says, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. And that's interesting because this is, this is the very start of the, the whole big section of the book that relates to Jesus as our high priest. The writer had just been talking about Moses, and there's almost this very sudden and unexpected jump uh, to where he's now not talking about Moses and the prophetic office anymore, but now he's going to be talking about high priest. And so I think what's helpful for a, a preacher is to actually look at the verses that are immediately following these verses at the end of chapter four, you almost would think they should be in the opposite order because in verses five or uh, chapter five, one through five, uh, the writer kind of lays some of the groundwork for what the, the role and the qualifications were for a high priest um, that help kind of lay the, the groundwork for the writer in the previous verses saying, this is the role that, that Jesus played. So it's just kind of a, 
it's very striking that he he kind of jumps in uh, head first with this encouragement about Jesus being our high priest. But I think those verses at the beginning of chapter five are really helpful for the preacher to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, let me go back to you. So guys are probably getting itchy to start uh, writing the sermon. So you have any initial thoughts on how you might handle this text? Yeah, I think there are a number number of approaches you could take. Um, something that struck me a little bit, and maybe the guys can comment on this as well, is you, you have this idea of battling, and so you get into our temptations a little bit, but you don't have any specific temptations mentioned. You know, so if you look at uh, the gospel for the Sunday, here's how uh, Satan tempted Jesus, and, and yet we don't have any specific ones mentioned for us. And so it had me think it a little bit more, more broadly, and uh, maybe this is a bad picture, uh, but I started to think about how uh, almost like a, a boot camp or a basic training type thing, uh, we are going to be tempted. We are going to face battles and struggles with the flesh, with the world, with Satan. So what are some truths that would encourage us and equip us for the battle? And, and, and that was a, a kind of a mindset that I, I took with it is that, um, you know, you just kind of walk through and, and it's striking, though, if you're thinking of the battle mentality that it doesn't mention that we have a great general. It mentions that we have a great high priest. And so that right there is a, is a great, I, I think you, you have a lot of preaching to do there to, to get people up to speed on this. I think uh, a malady kind of tying into that a little bit is that the devil loves to misrepresent our representative or to have a substitute for our substitute. And what I, what I mean by that is, um, we have a high priest. We have someone who can sympathize with us and our weaknesses. And yet he wants to misrepresent that. So it's like, yeah, you know, you can't rely on the Lord. He doesn't know how to relate to you or yeah, there's no hope for you or, or whatever it might be is, is I, I think you just, the language itself is, is so striking um, that it's not our day-to-day -day language. That if you're, you're talking to the average person in, in church and saying, Hey, we've got a great high priest. Their first reaction might be, so <laughs> what does that mean for me today? I, I don't get it that that again, the, the devil would love to have us have this disconnect of who our representative is and why this is such a powerful picture. Um, those are a few few thoughts story in my mind of, of just just a kind of a, a 30,000 foot view of the text itself of that. This is equipping us for battle by pointing us to the champion. And how does he help us then? Um, and, and John had mentioned earlier of the, um, the encouragement of let's go to him and the encouragement to keep fighting. I, I was thinking some similar thoughts along those same lines, Joel, and I really like how you articulated that. Um, there's kind of a double uh, possible misunderstanding. So on the one hand, I think it's really easy for us to think, boy, the things that I go through as a weak, frail human being, like Jesus doesn't know what that's like. Um, and then at the same time, we look at the very few specific temptations that the Bible does tell us about for Jesus, namely in today's gospel. And we're tempted to think those, those aren't anything like the temptations I go through. I've never been tempted to, to use my almighty power to turn stones into bread, you know. Um, but this, this text especially verse uh, 15, brings both of those together, right? So, you know, if you were preaching on the gospel, and I've, I've 
I've done this in the past. Um, it's really a golden opportunity to illustrate how the temptations that Satan brought to Jesus are in fact emblematic of how he works in general, including in our lives. So that's that side of it. But then in preaching on this text, to more stress what you mentioned, that um, the temptations that we go through, that we feel, Jesus was not in any way like immune to those or distant from those. And I, I think where I've really found value in this verse specifically, it, maybe not so much in preaching, but especially in teaching and specifically teaching confirmation class to, to seventh and eighth graders, um, is that as we go through the Ten Commandments and we talk about sins against those commandments, we of course want to also uh, use that as an opportunity to talk about how Jesus kept those commandments perfectly in our place. And in lots of cases, there's examples of from Jesus' life where we can point to that, but not with every commandment. And specifically, the one that the one that sticks out to me is the sixth commandment. We, we don't really have a lot of uh, evidence from Jesus' life of him keeping the sixth commandment. Um, but in, even in our catechism, when it gets to that part of the sixth commandment, this is the passage that they reference um, to just say, hey, lest, lest you think that Jesus didn't face the temptation of lust, look at Hebrews 4, verse 15. He has faced every temptation that, that we have faced. You know, what's interesting, John, is, is so I sometimes as a reference point when I'm preaching is I'll, you know, consult the, the confessions or, or look at the references at the back of the catechism. And, and it is interesting that it mentions this verse with the sixth commandment. And then I'll have to go back and look again. I think it was the ninth and 10th commandments. So it skipped the other ones. I've certainly actively obeyed all those too, but it is interesting. Those ones mentioned specifically and, and uh, certainly those are struggles for us and that he walked through perfectly. One thing I appreciate about the text, even though it's a short text, is that it emphasizes the qualities of our perfect substitute, our perfect champion. It has everything in it uh, to tell us why he is absolutely perfect for us. Uh, he's God himself. He is the son of God. Uh, he's also a human being. He's like us in every single way, except that he was without sin. And he is the great high priest, the one who is the go-between between God and us. And he is uh, so great. He's even greater than, than, the, than the priestly line of, of Aaron. He's, he's, he's in the order of Melchizedek. He is an eternal priest who has ascended uh, into the heavens and brings the blood uh, that, that has purchased our forgiveness right into the presence of God. Uh, he's a perfect champion for us. I think that a benefit of this text, when you compare to the first text and the last text, we kind of just get that battle with champions and, and um, just, you know, what a champion was just, I, it's been a while since I studied this, but I know that like in history, it was pretty rare where they would do a battle with champions and that would actually settle it. It was kind of like, kind of like a pep rally that, okay, our guy just beat you. So now we're going to go to war and we're inspired. And if that's what the gospel lesson is, is, is an inspiration for me now to go and, and do what Jesus did. And he didn't use his divine power. He just used the word to stand up against all the temptations. It, that text has the potential to eviscerate someone um, for how poorly you, so just to say, okay, yes, he's our champion, but also in the sense of that he's our high priest, that he's made the sacrifice for the times that I haven't used the word to stand up against against uh, Satan's temptation is probably, I, I know, 
I probably preached that way badly in the past where I'm, I, I point to the, like John said, the various types of um, temptation. So a temptation of the flesh, a temptation of the easy road, a temptation to twist the word of God to make it say what I would like it to say. And, uh, and said, well, you can overcome those with, with God's word here. Jesus is the example when, the, when that's really not the point of the gospel lesson at all. I was, I was thinking about that, you know, in terms of uh, how we might help people sort of grasp in a more tangible way uh, the role that the high priest played in the lives of God's people in the Old Testament. Um, we obviously, you know, we don't think in, in those terms, at least specifically with that office, but we certainly have other areas of our life where someone has the role of representing us. Um, so things that I, I think people are fairly familiar with, uh, if you've ever had to deal with an insurance agent, you know, if you get in a car accident or something like that, that it's their job to go to bat for you. Um, real estate agent would be a, another example. Um, and, you know, I think the one that maybe, maybe not as many people have a, a firsthand experience with, but we're certainly familiar with from just our, our general knowledge of, of uh, life is the idea of a defense attorney. And uh, I heard someone say, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and I heard someone say the first rule of lawyering is to get your client to shut up, to make sure that you can do all of the talking. And I think that's a good thing to keep in mind with a text like this. Um, as the, the client who's being represented by the high priest, we want to jump in right away. And we want to uh, either make excuses for our sin or following Jesus' example, say, okay, now now I know I can do this. I can, I can follow his example. But this is a Sunday to, to kind of shut up and let him do the talking. Um, as the one who who represents us and did it perfectly for us. Maybe to that a little bit, um, you know, I made the comment before, I think one area that you could possibly preach some malady is misrepresenting our representative. And I think you hit on one, um, John Hine, with um, Jesus becomes only example then. You read this and go, okay, Jesus fought the devil. I'm going to fight the devil too. I'm going to use the word of God. Well, no, it's he's called the high priest here, and we have a throne of grace to go to. Uh, there, there's a different focus there than just saying, hey, learn from Jesus in this. Well, yeah, you learn from Jesus in this, but rely on Jesus in this. That's where we find our grace, and that's where we find our, our comfort in time of need. I think that's a picture, the way it's a, a throne almost made out of grace, <laughs> a, a throne from which grace is flowing and uh, that's completely right. We didn't contribute anything to the battle. We didn't fight in any way to somehow accomplish our forgiveness or our salvation. Uh, Jesus did this single-handedly for us, and we simply go uh, in his name uh, to the throne of our Father in heaven, and he graciously forgives us. Yeah, great thoughts. We've touched on a malady. I mean, and, and maybe we've already touched when we, we talk about specific gospel. Maybe we've already touched on it and just saying, I think, Joe, when you said active obedience, you know, active obedience Sunday, you guys have any thoughts on thoughts on that, the unique way to preach? And, and, and maybe, John, you got it. And you talked about expanding on the role of, of the high priest, um, what that is. But any, any thoughts about the comfort you're going to try and deliver? I mean, I think we've, we've, stressed one side of it, which, which of course is Jesus' ability to do this perfectly, which is what makes him so different from us. And, you know, if we, if we think in terms of that, 
a picture of a champion or someone who's going to battle for us uh, on behalf of the rest of us that, again, that idea of, well, he's so much superior to me. He's so much better than me is really the, uh, a facet of that picture, which is, again, is an important one. I think the other side of the, the beauty found in the picture of a high priest is the one that the writer does a phenomenal job of, of stressing that because uh, yes, he's different from us in that he's without sin, but he's like us in every other way. In these verses, that comes out in, in the fact that he can have sympathy. He can have empathy with us. He's not someone who is, you know, how come I can do this so perfectly and easily and you guys, you guys are so terrible at it. Um, he's someone that can empathize with us. And then it, it's really striking in the verses that follow. Verse 2 of chapter 5, where it says he's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray. So just this incredible combination of someone who is so different from us in his holiness, but, but able to have compassion, sympathy, and be gentle with us because he's familiar with the temptations that we are. Just keying off of that thought, John, I, to me, I, I think a, a key phrase is the whole in verse 16 is the with confidence that you can approach the throne. And you, sometimes we're hesitant. It's like, okay, I'm coming now with this pet sin of mine for the sixth time this week. And He's got to be sick of me and forgetting that the whole throne is, yes, it's a throne of sovereignty, but it's a throne of grace too. Um, and so I can approach it with confidence, even after the, the umpteenth time of slipping into it. And king off of that a little bit, another, another striking connection that um, jumped out at me between this verse and the gospel um, right at the end of, of verse 16, you know, we go to this throne of grace with confidence in our, in our time of need, our, our, Oikairon. Um, and you, you think about the connection with the gospel where it says that Satan left Jesus until a more opportune time. So Satan knows exactly when to bring the temptations with full force. He also knows exactly when to heap on the guilt in full force. He, he knows how to get us at just those, those uh, opportune moments, which are the very moments that we need to, to go to the throne of grace. And even when we're feeling that guilt in its sharpest pains, as, as John mentioned with, you know, the pet sin for the umpteenth time, that's the, the time where more than ever we need to be approaching that throne of grace and can still do so with confidence. And we can own our weaknesses at of grace. I think that the devil would, would trust us that for us to have, have to show a little strength and prove our worth, be uh, fight in a way that's worthy of receiving the victory. And uh, this text makes it clear that, that our Savior, who is the perfect substitute and our great high priest and our champion who has crushed the head of the devil, he knows very well how weak we are. And we can come to him as we are and hold uh, and cling only to him and to his grace and to his strength. This was just a kind of a unique timing thing that at home with our kids this past week, we read uh, from Esther. And so you have the the big scene when, when Esther's going to approach the king and she's like, well, I, I can't go to him, you know, unless he, he, you know, calls me. And so she pretties herself up and, you know, we don't have to pretty ourselves up before God that we go to the throne in his grace and confidently. So I think that is a, just a neat thought that you can really dwell on and, just so happened I read that. So that was a nice contrast in, in my mind of the fear versus the, the faith and the confidence we approach. 
I think the Old Testament text uh, would become a very good introduction sermon. Uh, you could just see the Israelites every single day when Goliath comes out just quaking. Uh, they're, they're terrified of this giant that there's no way they could have a, a chance defeating. And uh, you can see the Christians just with with uh, against them. And we can we can hear the voices of Goliath all around us, too. Um, and uh, we have fear. Uh, we, ha we need to admit that we have fear, too, as we fight the battle. Uh, but this confidence and this grace overcomes that fear. If you use that for an introduction, it's just it's just you get the great testimony of David where he just, he ultimately said, the reason he's going in confidence is because the battle is the Lord's. It's not really his, it's the Lord's battle. And, and um, which is then ties in with the gospel and the, 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 the second reading, obviously. You guys have any other additional thoughts just on parts of the sermon, like you uh, touched on a possible introduction or even theme in parts or any, any illustrations you guys have for anything in here? One, one thing that I noticed in the text is that that in verse uh, 14 at the end, where it talks about how we hold on to our confession. Um, I was reminded of, as I did a little about uh, the first uh, lesson and how Goliath had this, this uh, spear that had a point, an iron point that weighed uh, 15 pounds. He must've had a power grip uh, to be able to, to wield that thing. Uh, but David also had a powerful grip, and he had, he had a faith that held on to the promises of God. And that's what the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging Christians to do, uh, to hold on with all of their might to uh, the confession of who Christ is, of who our Father in heaven is, who the Holy Spirit is, and how we have grace and forgiveness because he is our champion. Other thoughts? As I thought about, um, you know, how, how I would maybe outline or, or divide the text in the sermon, um, I just kept coming back to this, this uh, it's almost a, a setup where the writer is stressing so much how Jesus is, is just like us. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us in our weaknesses. He's been tempted. In all things, he's been tempted just like us. And, and that kind of becomes the, the sum and substance of sort of the first part of the sermon. Like, don't think for a second that Jesus doesn't know what you're going through, um, that he hasn't faced the temptations that you've faced. But then at the very end of that sentence, in a very dramatic way, it's without sin. Um, and then the implications of that in verse 16, that we can go to God's throne with confidence being the, the second part of the sermon. Um, and it just seems like, to me, a very natural way to stress both facets of what made Jesus a, a unique high priest. I mean, every high priest, as, as chapter five goes on to say, was chosen from among the people, was one of them, knew their weaknesses firsthand, but all of them were also sinful. And so they needed to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well. Um, but only Jesus is both like us in every way and without sin. Is this, a, you think, a decent way to handle verse 16? So go to God's throne of grace with confidence to receive mercy, find grace, and help in our time of need. That really, you're, you're going to receive multiple things. One is 
the forgiveness. I'm, I'm going there because I've failed to stand up to these temptations. And so I'm, I'm going for the forgiveness that my high priest um, won with his sacrifice, but then also help to try and stand up with, with it in the future. And like an illustration, I, and I can't remember where I heard this, but almost like the, the, the trapeze artist that I'd be terrified to like try jumping from a trapeze to a trapeze because I, I assume I'd screw it up and go splat. But if you would put like a net underneath me that I knew couldn't break, uh, um, okay, now I'm energized to give it a try because you remove the element of fear. And that that's kind of what Jesus does to help us with our temptations is um, uh, rather than looking at his sacrifice as an, as an indulgent thing, it, it energizes me to like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and stand up against this and do whatever I need to stand up against this with the help that Christ gives me. And I, I have the energy of knowing that if I would fail, I'm, I'm caught in this unbreakable safety. Is that a, a proper application of going to him for both mercy and for help? But, you know, so tying that back to the first verse, you know, when, what is one of the things that Satan uses in times of temptation is ultimately you, you sometimes get to that place of Job's friends where you wonder, OK, well, God's getting back at me for something. And and yet you're reminded that through the blood of the high priest, you know, we have that forgiveness. And so highlighting that element of, of grace that when I'm facing temptation or I'm just facing difficulty in life, I don't have to sit here and question, oh, does God love me? No, I can have a completely different perspective on this. Um, you know, just thinking of the temptation against Jesus, if, if you are, you know, the son of God. Well, he just was dripping wet from the waters of baptism where he heard the, the words of, you are my son, my beloved son. So you have that promise to hold on to. And in temptation, I have that promise that can be my quote-unquote safety net underneath, um, that I have God's grace beneath me. I think, I think too, the other aspect of that that uh, is very beneficial, as John mentioned, we, you know, we, it's so easy to think of testing as uh, the evil things that we're not supposed to do. But of course, our, our testing is also the good things that we're supposed to do and, and the, the temptation to let them pass us by. And that safety net, I, I think, is especially important there. So aside from, you know, boy, I'm going to give it all I've got to not do this wrong thing again that I've done so many times. Um, if we are scared and timid because we're unsure of our relationship with God, the natural tendency is just going to be to hold ourselves up and try and stay away from evil as much as we can. And then we end up in our own self-created monastery instead of actively looking for opportunities to, to love our neighbor. Um, so I think in, in that aspect of Christian living too, I can go out and, and just try and love freely knowing I'm going to, to at times screw it up um, because I've got uh, this high priest who's done it all for me. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I, I love that the encouragement to, to do the good that he sets before us and not just avoid the evil. That's fantastic. I'm reminded that uh, that the battle has been won, as we've been talking about, by our champion, and yet we're still in a battle, and uh, we still need. And both Johns just mentioned that uh, battle and that service is not just uh, in temptation, it's the body of Christ and, and souls for the kingdom of Christ. Excellent. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. We're going to just say thank you guys for your uh, your help this week, helping guys kick off the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, um, appreciate it and look forward to talking to you next time.
Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you.